What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Dylan LeClaire is the head of market research at Bitcoin Magazine. In this conversation, we discuss Bitcoin, central banks, inflation, negative yielding debt, portfolio construction of a 20-year-old, dropping out of college, energy value of Bitcoin, the Bitcoin hash rate, and the illiquid supply. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dylan, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is Crypto.com. Crypto.com is helping mainstream the crypto industry by signing major global partnerships with multiple sports, including Serie A, the Italian Football League, the UFC, and my personal favorite, Formula One. They also recently announced a brand new sponsorship with the Philadelphia 76ers as the Jersey Patch Sponsor. They've got over 10 million users around the world. Crypto.com offers an easy way to buy and sell more than 100 cryptocurrencies. You can even buy Bitcoin with as little as $1. New users enjoy all sites of great, advantageous features. Everything from 0% debit card fees in the first 30 days to high-yield interest rates. Crypto.com also is Visa's biggest crypto card partner. My listeners across North America, Europe, and most of APAC can apply for the Slick Metal Card, offering up to 8% back on most purchases. And it comes with amazing perks like 100% rebate on Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime. You'll get $25 when you download the Crypto.com app today and use the code POMP. Again, $25 for free after you download the Crypto.com app today and use code POMP. Go check them out in the App Store or click on the link in the description and download it today. All right, let's get in this episode with Dylan. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. What's going on, man? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on. Of course. All right, let's start off first, uh, just kind of introducing you to everyone. Uh, you work at Bitcoin Magazine. Explain a little bit about what you do there and, and kind of what you're personally interested in terms of Bitcoin and the macro environment. Yeah, so um, I work at Bitcoin Magazine um, and I lead off their their premium markets product. So um, we cover, uh, it's called the deep dive and we cover global macroeconomics, on-chain analytics uh, and Bitcoin derivative markets. Um, and really just kind of combining like the, the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, moves in, in the Bitcoin markets or just financial markets more broadly, um, you know, and combine that with this, you know, 10 year um, or like really this, this kind of monetization process of Bitcoin um, and, and combining, you know, both of those views, like keeping that, that sort of, you know, zoomed out view as well as just kind of giving some context to, you know, about what's happening and, and why. Yeah. And I think that's part of what is uh, so fascinating about the way that you cover this is you always keep the macro environment in mind as you look at the Bitcoin market. So we've got a bunch of charts that we're going to run through here. Uh, Let's start first with the uh, major central banks total assets as they continue to rise uh, and help us understand just kind of contextually, like, why is this chart important and and what does it really tell you as you uh, look at it? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things like one, we have this, this new technology, right? We have Bitcoin and, and so many people are trying to figure this out and, and there's a lot of noise in like the so-called, you know, crypto space, right? We, we all know this, but, but really I think what's happening and what's forcing people to adopt this technology, this monetary technology is we're, we're kind of at the end of this long-term debt cycle. And most people don't really um, understand this, especially if, if they're, you know, not studying macroeconomics or, you know, have a, have a like uh, in-depth, you know, history of, of, of monetary assets and, and debt cycles, right? Um, but, you know, starting in, in, in 08 and, and in 2020, um, we kind of hit the zero lower bound. 
Um, and so central banks kind of ran out of their their you know main option, their firepower, which is interest rate policy. And so you know what they went to is, is quantitative easing. It's essentially just stuffing a bunch of cash in the, in the bond market, or really, I mean, simplified as printing money, right? Um, but it's really just just lowering the discount rate of of uh, or the cost of capital everywhere on the planet. And so these are all you know the global major central banks. Um, and what this is just showing is that they're they're trying to keep the system glued together. Um, but it's it's you know it's it's cracking it's cracking at the seams. And so um, this is you know actively forcing people into Bitcoin or or to seek. Uh, shelter elsewhere. And so when we look at the total assets, obviously every major central bank just absolutely took off in 2020 uh, for obvious reasons. But also in the United States, we've got this debt chart that shows a very similar uh, type of growth there at the end in uh, in 2020. So explain what's going on here. Yeah. So this is, is looking at um, just like total debt to GDP, um, non-financial, financial um, and, and right now, total debt to GDP is at 400%. And so uh, my good buddy, Greg Foss, um, he was on your show. He likes to always talk about how it's a, it's a mathematical certainty that, that fiat will debase because of, of basically this chart uh, with debt to GDP at 400%, um, given that all debt has to be repaid plus interest um, unless the economy is growing at 12, 15% a year in real terms, then, then we're in a debt spiral. And there, there's really no way out um, unless it's default, which is politically not feasible, or to basically debase the currency, and so that's what that's you know that's the game we're playing. And really, a lot of people get you know get upset with the puppets of the game, but it's 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 more systematic than that. It's not about Trump or Biden or Powell or whoever you you want to you know call shots at. And and I get it, I do it too sometimes. Um, but it's really it's systematic. Um, we're in a debt spiral, and and mathematically, there's there's no way out of this um, except to continue printing and. Um, attempting to kick the can down the road, but more and more people are, are waking up and saying, I don't want to play this game. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to describe it. Uh, we've got a chart here of the real 10-year treasury bond yield. Describe uh, what's going on with the 10-year yield, but also what the relationship between the 10-year yield and inflation is. Yeah, so um, <laughs> the Fed or like the government's way of measuring inflation, I believe is, is kind of flawed. And I think most people that are paying attention do as well. Um, but just for the sake of, of the argument, we'll, we'll use it. Um, it's you know, there's PCE or CPI, but it's basically just consumer price inflation. Um, and we are indexing that against uh, what a, you know, a treasury bond could get you, what a lot of people in financial markets, you know, they use as their risk-free rate. Um, then what you're looking at is essentially in this chart, when you break that zero lower bound, the cost of capital is negative, right? So uh, when you're evaluating stocks, real estate, um, any, any asset, um, when the cost of capital is negative, how, what's the fair value? And the answer is, uh, it doesn't compute. It breaks. Um, so if you're holding a bond, or if you're sitting on a you know 60/40 portfolio, if you're you know in your pension or your your 401k, you're you're losing uh, in real terms. And even if, if nominally you're you're making out okay, um, you're you're basically getting pillaged if you're if you're holding bonds or a lot of these financial assets because the cost of capital is is so distorted. And that's because it's a it's a centrally planned market. And so um, I think these are like the the broad macro trends here. Um, and this is why. You know, I think Bitcoin would be important regardless. Um, and, and, you know, Satoshi literally uh, released Bitcoin because of, of these problems. I think he, he chose to release Bitcoin kind of strategically. Uh, but um, this is why Bitcoin is, is especially so important. And when we look at this idea of global aggregate negative yielding debt, uh, it just is, is nuts, right? Uh, to see that now there's uh, about $14 trillion total of this. How does this fit into the macro picture? Yeah, so this is kind of similar to the past charts, but basically, you know, a lot of people like to call Bitcoin a bubble. It's I think it's about nine hundred billion today in total market cap. Uh, but just for context, there's there's fourteen trillion dollars, or I think this was from last month, but 
around $14, $15 trillion of debt today that is guaranteed to lose money. It's people signing up, uh, giving $100 uh, to receive 99 back. I um, mean, you know, that's simplified, but essentially that's what's going on. And there's $14 trillion uh, in, that, in that bucket. So uh, when, you, when you're calling Bitcoin a bubble, um, this, this new global monetary asset that no one can mess with, um, I think... I think you really need some context here about just how how big of an everything bubble there is um, in this this great monetary experiment that central banks are conducting um, with global fiat currencies everywhere. We, we've never seen anything like it. Um, you know, Bitcoin at nine hundred billion is is an absolute drop in the bucket. And so, you know, like think about fourteen trillion dollars. It's it's something that you know a million millions is a trillion. Um, you know, just for some context, like it's it's mind boggling. Um, and so, yeah, Bitcoin is extremely cheap. <laughs> Now, when we think about a potential solution, uh, I think most people who are watching this think Bitcoin uh, could serve as a, uh, a solution or a part of the solution. Uh, and we look at this chart here of Bitcoin hash rate uh, and you so eloquently put uh, it's going up forever, Laura. Maybe describe the uh, it's going up forever, Laura uh, joke first and then we can talk about the chart. Yeah. So that's a, I stole that from Michael Saylor. Um, I think he had a get an interview with, with Laura. Um, I forget your last name, but Laura um, talking about the price, Laura Shin, Yeah. Uh, talking about the price, but, uh, in this case, I'm talking about the hash rate and essentially, um, you know, for, for those who are not aware, hash rate is essentially just this, this, you know, Darwinistic capitalistic competition, uh, to mine Bitcoin. And, and, and this is in log scale. So if you're looking at, you know, at this start, it's, it's going up in factors of, of 10, or I'm sorry, a hundred, no, 10. Um, and so, you know, if in linear terms, it's, it's, it's looks absolutely ridiculous. It looks like it just, it's hockey sticking up. Um, uh, but what this is showing is that, you know, the, the competition to sell energy to the Bitcoin network, um, and, you know, and basically all are mostly wasted energy or underutilized energy, right? Um, this is this free market thing. There's no one being coerced into mining Bitcoin. Uh, and, uh, and oftentimes the energy, the, the cost is, is zero or negative, right? Like these oil producers are, are literally, you know, they have to pay because they're, they're emitting this uh, methane into the atmosphere. And so Bitcoin mining is a solution to, Hey, I'm going to turn this wasted energy into, into global money, uh, global decentralized money. And so, you know, what, what this is, is you're seeing just this, this new monetary asset um, born and the, and the energy cost is what the free market is, is willing to pay to secure this monetary network. And so, um, you know, hash rate, it's something that is, it's not something that's like easy to explain to someone that's just, you know, falling down the, the Bitcoin uh, rabbit hole or the path. But um, it's, it's one of the most important aspects related to the hash rate is this idea of mining difficulty and kind of this every two weeks. There's an adjustment to the network based on how much computing power is on there. Uh, we've got a chart that shows that actual mining difficulty. Describe uh, kind of how you think about this. And, you know, is it one of the most beautifully designed uh, technical systems in the world? Yeah. Um, so so mining difficulty is essentially. Um, you know, as more as the price of Bitcoin rises or think about any commodity, right? When when a commodity becomes more valuable, gold, oil, copper, silver, there's a, there's a larger economic incentive to go produce that thing naturally. Um, that's just that's supply and demand. Um, but with Bitcoin difficulty, um, there's over two week periods or technically two uh, every 2016 blocks. But, you know, for the sake of this, every two weeks, um, 
difficulty adjusts upwards or downwards depending on how much hash rate ha has fallen or arisen. So if, if the price of Bitcoin is ripping and there's this huge economic incentive to go produce more of it, just like say, say if the price of gold was, was increasing, um, you know, it, the price of gold doubled, well, all of these people are gonna go try to go mine gold. Um, but with Bitcoin, difficulty adjusts to make it incrementally that much harder to produce the thing. And so um, it's essentially, it's the, the difficulty adjustment um, continues to kind of ratchet up production costs as more and more energy expenditure and, and people uh, want to go produce this thing or, or mine it. And so um, if you could, I actually arranged the charts in a little bit of a different order, but if you could go down to the, the energy cost chart, uh, it's two, it's, uh, two things down. Yep. Um, I think this is one of the most beautiful things. Um, this is, this is uh, by Charles, uh, Capri Charles Edwards at Capriol Investments. Um, he kind of put an estimate for the Bitcoin energy value using inputs like hash rate um, and, and um, you know, ASIC estimates. But what this shows, right? So if you're just looking at 2021, the price tanked, uh, a bunch of miners were basically, you know, for political reasons, were kicked out of China. And what happened to the energy value? The energy value tanked. Well, difficulty ratcheted downwards multiple times. At one point, there was a third negative 29% difficulty adjustment. And what did that do? It, it increased the economic incentive to go mine Bitcoin, to go sell your energy to the Bitcoin network. So, in, so, in, in, so now Dylan, energy, in, in, in this chart, walk us through real quick what uh, everyone's looking at here. So what the green, the blue and the red, what, what exactly are they looking at so that everyone can uh, make sure they're paying attention? Yeah. So, so the green is, is the, is the hash rate inside of, that's above. Um, and the blue is the, the Bitcoin price, right? Yep. Um, and so the red is using uh, various inputs such as, such as hash rate, as well as some assumptions, but it's basically giving you a production cost um, how much miners are, are basically paying um, for every one Bitcoin to produce one Bitcoin. And so right now that's about, you know, 24,000 um, in May, that was about 14,000, but, but say, right. You know, tomorrow the price of Bitcoin tanks, you know, minus 50%, like happened in March of 2021 or March of 2020, there's this huge liquidity crisis. You know, now all of a sudden it's not economical to mine Bitcoin. Well, what happens? Miners unplug hash rate plummets. Well, Two weeks from now, difficulty is going to downwards adjust, and it's going to incentivize all of these miners to come back and secure the network and to mine and to mine Bitcoin again. And it's going to lower that production cost, and it's going to limit uh, that that sell pressure on the market. And so it's just kind of this beautiful, almost like it's it's an engineering discovery, almost I would say, not even an invention. Um, Sato Satoshi discovered Bitcoin as this decentralized monetary network that runs just on economic incentives and nothing else. And and it's. You know, when you when you dig into it, it's one of the most you know beautiful engineering uh, machines ever. So when we go and we look at this chart around the liquid and illiquid supply, we've had uh, Will. I know you and Will are very close and uh, and talk almost daily, from what I understand. Uh, we've had him talking a bunch about this illiquid supply and the supply shocks. Uh, the chart that you've got here around the liquid and illiquid supply. Explain uh, kind of how you look at this and, and what are you looking for in the chart as you look at it on a daily basis. Yeah. So, um, you know, most of this, you know, most of these charts are kind of covering like, you know, broad trends. Um, so this is the Bitcoin liquid and illiquid supply. And so the total supply of Bitcoin is, I think it's like 18.8 million. Um, but over time, what you see is an increasingly large, um, you know, amount of Bitcoin is becoming illiquid. It's basically being locked away and not hitting the market again. And that free float, um, despite the issuance um, kind of increasing, um, well, or, or the amount of Bitcoin in circulation increasing while, while the issuance on a percentage basis is decreasing, um, that free float of Bitcoin available to the market continues to kind of to chip away. And we, especially since March of 2020, we've seen, you know, that illiquid supply hockey stick upwards when you're looking at like in a ratio sense. So over time, what's the trend, right? There's manipulated cost of capital globally. Everybody and more and more people are kind of waking up to say, hey, this game's rigged and I don't want to play this anymore. 
And here we have this monetary asset that no one controls, that no one can debase, that no one can manipulate, that is just, just on economic incentives, having people adopt it, having institutions adopt it, having nation states adopt it. And so um, this is just basic supply and demand. There's less and less Bitcoin that are, you know, hitting the market uh, every single day as you have more and more people kind of hoarding this this new asset saying, I don't want to sell for dollars ever. Like I I don't have an incentive to, sell, to ever sell, right? Um, and I think more and more people like the Michael Saylors of the world, the billionaires of the world, and even just like the average, you know, the average pleb or, or someone in, in Nigeria, right? This is a global phenomenon are saying, hey, I just, I just want to store my value in this thing. And so, you know, that illiquid supply is just kind of showing showing this trend and showing really people just waking up to this. When you look at the realized cap versus the market cap, uh, how bullish does this make you feel when you actually see uh, just the constant um, long-term trend of appreciation? Yeah, so I think uh, realized price is something that I, I really like to look at because um, when you're talking about, you know, market cap or, um, or just the price, price can get bit at the margin really easily. But, but because we have this transparent ledger, right? We have the, the Bitcoin network, the Bitcoin blockchain has, has a ledger of every, you know, every coin in existence and when was the last time it moved, right? So Satoshi's coins, were, which he mined back in, back in the early days, they never moved. In this metric, they're worth zero. Um, and coins that you know, were acquired in, in April and haven't moved since are worth about 60,000 per coin. And so when you have, you have this realized cap, which is like basically the price paid for every single coin, you can kind of think of it like that. And over time, I think um, you know, the day-to-day volatility of the BTC USD price, it's volatile and it whips up and down and there's derivatives and all this. But when you're looking at realized price, it's essentially, you can, it's like a more pure you know, view of the monetization process of this network. It's like, hey, the value of every coin, the value of, of this entire network continues to tick up and up and up and up, and it's basically going up forever. Um, and so you know, I, I, I love to look at realized cap as more of like a, or realized price is like kind of a, a fair value of Bitcoin. I mean, very rarely do you, do you see the price dip under that. How old are you? I'm, I'm 20. You're 20. When you think yeah. about you and your friends, Explain, my brother here is 24, uh, 25 now, 25, 25, 25. Uh, and we talk a lot about the psychological difference of how 20, 24, 25 year olds think about financial markets than uh, the older generation. Even me at 33, I'm kind of in the middle of, of uh, some of those folks. How do you think about equities, bonds, crypto, Bitcoin versus anything else? Like, are you and all of your friends all in on Bitcoin or do they have diversified portfolios? Like how, how do you guys think through uh, investing? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I had kind of quite the, the orange pill moment, I would say over the last couple of years. Um, and I've, I think I've gotten most of my friends there as well, but um, I kind of think of it like, you know, going back to the manipulated cost of capital and, and legacy finance um, that there's just no way that I'm ever going to buy a bond, at least, <laughs> at least in today's environment. It's just, you know, there's, there's just no way in hell I'm ever going to fund the U S government for 1% a year in nominal terms. Um, when you're thinking about equities, there's also, because of this broken manipulated cost of capital, you're looking at sky high PE ratios, all time high corporate debt to GDP. I just think, um, from a risk reward standpoint, it's not too attractive. And honestly, I, I think, I firmly believe that over the next 10 years, equities will, will rip in nominal terms. I think um, they'll do very well. Uh, but when you're, when you're looking at this on a, on a real basis, I think they, they, might, they might not do too great, especially when you're, when you're calculating the opportunity costs uh, in Bitcoin terms. Because, um, I mean, if you, if you couldn't tell, I, I've, kind of, I've come to this uh, conclusion or I have this thesis that 
that the risk free rate of everything, the opportunity cost of everything is Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, people will say, like, are you kidding me? It drew down 50% in a couple months. Um, but I'm not thinking on that time frame. I'm thinking, um, you know, years, decades. And so I know, I know one thing for sure is that um, the cost of producing Bitcoin will continue to go up forever, essentially, um, because of the economic incentives and because of, of basically how this protocol works, um, the halvings, the difficulty adjustment, you know, everything we've covered. And so when I think about how do I want to allocate my, my wealth, how do I want to save my time and energy into the future, um, with Bitcoin priced under a trillion dollars, um, there's basically no other place that I would think about allocating capital at the moment. Um, and I think diversification um, in, in this sense is, is not something that, that I'm uh, really too, too interested in. Um, I mean, I, I do own some Bitcoin-related equities with a, you know, a few basis points in my portfolio, but for the most part, stacking straight to cold storage and, and you know, that's it because you know, I can handle a 50% drawdown. A volatility at 20 years old is not something I'm, I'm too concerned with. Um, you know, it's a different story for someone that's 65 and, and you know, needs to, <laughs> needs to you know, draw from that capital every day, but um, that's just not the case for me. So you know, stacking sats and, and, and just chilling. What I think is so fascinating about this is one, I agree with you and, and think that the investment strategy is uh, is incredibly compelling given the macro environment, the asset itself, and then uh, kind of your age risk profile and, and uh, just your, the long time horizon. Uh, but it's no different than some of the timeless investing advice that others have heard. So like Warren Buffett, for example, talks all the time about if you buy a great asset, the best time to sell is never, right? Just hold it literally forever. Uh, and so uh, stacking sats may not be the same vernacular that he would use. Uh, a digital decentralized currency may not be the thing he's interested in. But if it ends up in hindsight being a great asset and people buy it and they hold it forever, it's no different than that timeless investment advice that he's been telling his shareholders and kind of the public markets forever, right? Yeah. I mean, in a Warren Buffett style approach, like the, the markets are overpriced. Um, and what I'm what I'm using as my you know as my currency or my my savings. So so I'm not investing at the moment. I'm just I'm just simply saving um, because because you know I'll wait for the market to correct uh, in Bitcoin terms. You know, you know when looking at everything, um, look at any chart over the last five years or the last three years uh, in, in Bitcoin terms. And I think uh, that's that's the truth. That's what's occurring. And, and obviously um, you're not going to see a 200% compounded annual growth rate or, like forever. That's not that's just not sustainable. Uh, but I think. Um, you know, Bitcoin is going to see this decade at least uh, 100x, you know, appreciation, maybe, you know, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, but um, we're just getting started with this thing. Um, you know, in terms of global adoption, if you look at global wealth, it's, it's so, it's extremely early. And, you know, you know, I respect people that, that can, can make it trading in and out every day. Um, but ultimately, that's just something that um, I, for the most part, stay away from. And I just, you know, I'm going to produce value and I'm going to store that value in, in what I think uh, is going to protect it best. I've got my brother, John, here with me. John, what questions you got? Yeah, thanks for doing this, Dylan. Um, I love how you talk about you're 20 years old so you can withstand the volatility and uh, look for that future growth. But a lot of our followers are also similar to you as uh, the younger demographic and everything. Can you talk about your, jo your journey to Bitcoin and how you found it and then how you found your, um, and how you go about working at Bitcoin Magazine? Yeah, um, totally. Honestly, part of my journey was uh, basically like podcasts like this um, and just like the free education that was available online. You know, I, I went to college for one year, uh, studied business and economics, but I, I dropped out because I was learning more on Twitter uh, and reading books that people recommended. Um, and so I think for anyone that's kind of interested in this space, but more broadly, you know, um, in the in the you know digital economy, um, it's it, you don't need a degree. You don't need a, like the credentialism of, of the past. Um, and, and there's so many ways to just kind of make it out there today on the Internet um, and to learn and to reach out to people. 
Um, you know, like I, I learned a lot about Bitcoin from watching the and listening to the Pomp podcast while I worked a day job, right? So, um, and like, you know, various other ones, but um, it was something I stumbled upon Bitcoin late high school um, while I was just trying to figure out investing. Um, and I just logged onto Twitter and just read what I thought smart people had to say about it. And so um, that was more valuable for me than listening to my to my boomer professor over, over a Zoom call when they sent us home from COVID. So, you know, it was a no brainer for me to be like, hey, like, I'm just going to drop out and and I, uh, I just worked a regular job for, for like six, six months and, uh, you know, got a DM basically for a, for a job opportunity, which was, you know, maybe a stroke of luck, maybe not, but you know, it turned into something, something that I, that I hope will last. Nice. So is it true that Bitcoin made you drop out of college? Yeah, I, yeah, I, for sure. Um, I, I mean, I like tweeted about it and told my friends and stuff like, Hey, like, I'm dropping out and they're like, just to work a, a job to stack sats. And they're like, what's sats and why are you dropping out? Like, what are you crazy? <laughs> um, and like, I honestly did it like that. I read, I read a couple of books that kind of melted my brain, like, like the sovereign individual I read and then prices tomorrow by Jeff Booth. Um, basically like how the internet was basically putting the cost of, of education and, and learning things to zero. Um, and that, you know, the credentialism of the industrial age was, was dissipating with the internet. And so, for me, I was like, okay, why am I studying finance and economics, uh, learning Keynesian economics, stuff I don't believe. Like they're telling me, hey, inflation's 2%. And I was like, no, it's not. And they're like, yeah, the CPI says so. And it was like, that was the answer. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I don't think this is too valuable for me. So um, yeah, it just, it was something like, all right, I'm gonna drop. Um, this is, and I, I got a lot of like pushback from it. Um, initially, my parents were a little skeptical, but now they're, I think they're fully orange-pilled and they're stacking themselves. and. And, you know, they agree with my decision now, but um, I definitely was was not like the tr traditional path per se. You, you may not know that I used to say this. I don't want to go ahead and say it. I feel like we're safe now. The virus is spreading. That's what happens. It <laughs> is uh, basically like Bitcoin used to be described as this mind virus, right? Like once you learn about it, you just can't stop thinking about it. You can't start, stop seeing the world in a different way. Then you start to tell people and explain it. And, and it just spreads through a, uh, a group of people in terms of uh, the education and the knowledge um, and kind of that that red pill, or that orange pill uh, type thing. Talk a little bit about you. You mentioned uh, kind of like not getting the formal education and the Keynesian economics. And, and I actually think it's a really interesting point that most older people uh, probably don't don't think uh, from this perspective, but if you go to college and they teach you something that either was true about the world in the past, but no longer is true, or two is a way to look at the world that uh, you don't agree with in some weird way, not only are you wasting your time or, or money, but on top of that, you're actually having information put into your brain that ends up being inaccurate and therefore uh, could be incredibly detrimental. And so dropping out in some weird way uh, is a better way to pursue knowledge than actually staying there and getting that information, right? Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, they were, they were teaching me, they were, they were bringing up, you know, textbooks from, I don't even know when the seventies or eighties. And they were saying, Hey, this is the Phillips curve and this is inflation and this is employment and they have this relationship. And I was like, no, they don't <laughs> look at the, like, I mean, look at the data. And, and it was like, it was just weird things like that. It was just like, you know, that was anecdotal, but it was like, you know, maybe if I was an engineer or some or something where I needed to go to school, it would be different. But I was studying like finance and economics and and I was I was literally listening to podcasts more than I was that I was attending in classes and doing homework. And so I was like, all right, screw this. Like, and I dropped out and I literally picked up a manual labor job. It's like it wasn't too fun, but I listened to I literally listened to eight hours of Bitcoin podcasts a day for like six, seven months. Um, and I got I think I got the best education of my life. Like it it turned into a, a legit job opportunity. I get to hang on Twitter all day and, and write about Bitcoin and financial markets. Um, you know, it's, it's something that like, and that's completely self-taught over the internet. And like, I'm not, not like 
bragging or anything. I'm just like trying to say that it's, you know, the cost of a lot of this information um, and the access to it. And you have some of the smartest people in the world sharing their thoughts for free on these platforms. Like it, that's something that, you know, college, I don't think, I don't think can keep up with, right? Like I was, I was sitting at home and in March, April, May, after they sent everyone home for, for COVID and I was, I was paying to, to have these boomers on a zoom call, explain things to me that I knew factually were just incorrect. Um, and so, you know, I, there's, there's, I think this is a gradual change, but I think we're, we're more of like the, at the suddenly point of things for sure. What, what was going on in the economic or finance classes in college? Like, did they have any clue about Bitcoin? Did you ever ask them about Bitcoin? Were they just dismissive of it? Like what was going on? Yeah, I did. I did ask a couple guys, uh, a couple of my economics professors. Um, I shared like some, some of the, uh, stuff from plan B, like stock to flow. Uh, and I did ask a couple of my computer, uh, science professors. I was like, Hey, like, what do you think about this? And I got a business call from from a, a blockchain uh, company, which you know, say what you want about, about blockchain, uh, but I didn't really think they they understood what was occurring. Right? It was like, oh yeah, blockchain technology is very interesting, and um, w- without realizing that, um, I don't even like blockchain to be honest. I, I prefer time chain uh, when when talking about Bitcoin. Like you know, Satoshi solved the Byzantine's general's problem, and so I think like. The rabbit hole goes very, very deep with Bitcoin and what it solves and and how big, um, you know, the, the of a problem Bitcoin solves. It's literally the total addressable market for Bitcoin is the biggest in the world. And so, you know, I don't think any of my professors grasped that. Um, it was something that took me um, months or years even um, of, of just like intense, intense studying, intense learning, obsessive uh, learning. Right. Um, the virus is literally spreading. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it was something that they didn't really grasp at all, which was just why it was another reason to kind of leave and, and pursue, pursue something else. What do you think about other non-Bitcoin crypto assets? Are you interested in any of that? Do you think they have any viability? How do you look at kind of the non-Bitcoin part of the industry? Yeah, um, I don't I don't own any um, other cryptos. Um, I And it's not because I'm not willing to look into them. I actually have I've done a lot of research to try to understand Ethereum, um, you know, any any other smart contract thing, platform, NFTs. I've 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 done my digging, um, and and ultimately, um, what I've kind of come to the conclusion of is that proof of work and and, and what Satoshi kind of you know airdropped on the world, um, proof of work basically linked the digital and the physical realm, um, and it's this, this zero to one invention, um, and so. You know, and, and, and it's the biggest, you know, it solves the biggest problem in the world, uh, which is which is basically um, the money's broken. And so, you know, that with basically Bitcoin is this, the, the first and only really thermodynamically secured monetary network um, in the sense that um, you have this this link of this. This ledger is essentially proof of, of energy expenditure. Um, and, and it's this immutable thing that nobody can change or alter. And so um, I think the genie's out of the bottle in that sense and that. Um, that's that's something that is extremely compelling for me. Like in terms of crypto um, NFTs, if you want to speculate on on all you know all these other things, proof of stake, that's great. And I think it's more of like a computer science experiment slash tech startup kind of thing. Um, but I think fundamentally, Bitcoin is here, and then crypto, anything else is separate, right? Um, and then and it's tough because there's so much nuance there um, in terms of decentralization as a spectrum, like, you know, how decentralized is, is enough, um, all of these things. But ultimately I think it's, it's clear to me, at least, um, it, there's Bitcoin and then there's cryptos and, and whatever else you want to build. And, and again, like I'm Gary Gensler coming in and saying like, these are securities, like, you know, let the free market 
do its work. Like I, I don't want any of these things to be shut down or killed or whatever. But ultimately, I think, um, you know, 20 years from now, Bitcoin is a, is a sure bet. And, and some people might think I'm crazy for saying that. But I think from a game theoretic standpoint, Bitcoin's won. It's, it's already won. Um, but all these other things, you know, build, frac- build fast and break things. Great. Like, you know, go ahead. But I'm not interested in, in really speculating. I just want to save uh, save my value and, and have it be a sure bet. So. For sure. Uh, and then through the end of this year, obviously, I think most of the data that you uh, post on Twitter or, or talk about shows that we're still in a bull market. What's your kind of price thoughts or price predictions for uh, the end of 2021? Yeah, um, I think, you know, something I'm watching closely is, is the Evergrande thing. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that recently on Twitter, but um, there's there's potential for there, you know, kind of be some sort of spillover contagion effects um, with that. But ultimately, the supply dynamics, I mean, I do talk with, with Will every day and I'm looking at that same data. Um, it's extremely bullish, like, you know, the most bullish I've ever been. Um, and so, you know, these supply dynamics, it, it doesn't lie. And a lot of times derivatives will whipsaw price back and forth. But I think ultimately, um, we're, I, I'm pretty confident in all-time highs breaking by 2021. And at that point, it's off to the races. Um, Bitcoin trades reflexively. Um, you know, once all-time highs are broken or, um, you know, essentially people just stop selling, price gets, gets bid uh, really hard at the margin. And you're going to have a ton of new capital kind of flowing in. Um, there's a lot of talk behind the scenes of, of big money, um, you know, buying, buying in this range. And so, you know, I think that's only going to, you know, kind of pick up from here. And I think, you know, once 60, 64K, 65K is broken, it's off to the races. And so, you know, I'm pretty confident in that occurring uh, in 2021. Um, and, you know, depending on how fast a, a rip to 100K is, is in the cards. Um, and so price predictions are, are kind of hard, but, you know, supply dynamics are extremely bullish. And especially if, if China or, you know, the Fed broadly, kind of respond to any sort of credit contagion or, you know, anything happening in the, in the legacy markets, you know, that's just rocket fuel for Bitcoin. And when you think about this, are you a subscriber to this like super cycle theory that once we break the all time high, we go up, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, or is it something where uh, maybe Will is in more of the thought process of like 180, $185,000 based on some of the models he's looking at? Like how, how severe is that reflexivity once we break the all time highs in your opinion? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a little in both camps. So, I mean, one is like, I'm just going to be looking at the data, uh, but I think there's a, there's a real chance. And I don't know if it happens in 2022 or 2024, but at some point, um, Bitcoin success is going to just be so, so obvious. And, and the narrative is not going to be between, you know, with us just kind of niche, uh, you know, econ nerds or, you know, um, like hardcore Bitcoiners, like libertarian kind of thing. I think that's even shifted recently, but um, it's going to be, oh my God, the legacy financial world. It's like, you know, I'm sitting on a trillion dollar bond tranche and I'm getting, I'm getting a negative yield, right? Like these guys that are basically still locked in, these guys, they can't get Bitcoin exposure yet. Um, but if an ETF comes as it just gets more mainstreamed, intertwined with, you know, the legacy system, companies like NYDIG and all of this, you know, they're, they're going to unlock trillions and trillions of dollars of capital to access the, the Bitcoin markets. And, and the, you know, the, the most bullish aspect is that when you're looking at a liquid supply, when you're just looking at the free flow of this thing that that's trading every single day, you know, about 14, 15 million Bitcoin aren't available to be sold. And like people like me, like I'm not like, I don't have a $200,000 price target where I'm selling my, all my Bitcoin. I'm just like, I might, you know, sell a few basis points or, you know, like, and, you know, obviously money's, you know, meant to be spent, but the, the reality is like my price target for Bitcoin is infinity. Like I don't plan on, I'll, I'll spend Bitcoin when, when, uh, you know, it's legal tender and I don't pay taxes on it. <laughs> and so like, you know, I think that's, that's the reality here. And you're going to have 
tens of trillions of dollars chasing, um, you know, a few million Bitcoin. And so, you know, do the math on that. But ultimately, um, I think at some point over the next five to 10 years, maybe, I don't, I don't think it gets that far. The dollar price becomes somewhat irrelevant um, as, tr as trust is lost. Um, we've just, we've just pushed, you know, they've kicked the can so, so far. Um, and, you know, what happens next time the legacy markets crash? Well, the feds, the feds use all its ammo and it's going to just, you know, it's going to, it's going to, they're going to blow the load again. And it's, it's, it's going to get, I think it's going to get kind of crazy. So, um, you know, super cycle, not, not entirely sure. I think, you know, naturally there's going to be boom and busts. 50% um, drawdowns are here to stay, especially with how over indebted the, the legacy system is right. Um, you know, you're going to see these, these huge cascades just because of how, how much debt is in the system. Um, and then how much impairment that causes with, you know, with, with the legacy system, fiat money, uh, money's created through lending, but it's also destroyed through debt, uh, debt default, right? So, so when that happens, you're going to see just massive drawdowns in equities, real estate, Bitcoin, like, um, that's just where we are in the, you know, in the system. And so they're going to have to reinflate it all. And that's, you know, that's when Bitcoin trades to seven figures. <laughs> I, uh, I tend to think that you're more right than wrong here. Uh, before I let you go, uh, where can we send people? What are you at? You're at 45.9 thousand followers. So for sure, we're going to get you to 46,000. I don't know how high we can go. We've been uh, been telling folks to go follow you here in the uh, comments. Other than following you on Twitter, I'll put the link in the description right now. Uh, where else do you want us to uh, send people? Yeah, so you can find, um, I do a, the deep dive with Bitcoin Magazine. So that's a daily newsletter. Um, we're covering on kind of most of the stuff we've talked about. Uh, if you check that out, it's like go to Bitcoin Magazine. I think it's at the top right. Um, it's uh we, we got a special discount code for today's show. It's uh it's ten bucks a month for six months. Discount code POMP. So just so you can give it a try. Um, I mean I think I'm I'm really happy with the work we put out. Uh, we put out about 20, 20 pieces a week that are pretty in depth research um, covering kind of the you know more of the like in the weeds of the on chain and derivative market stuff. Um, so you know those those price predictions you were asking me about. You know we're not giving straight up trading signals, but um, you know covering probabilities and various things that could happen in the market. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. Twitter, I hang out a lot. Um, you know, hit my DMs if you have any questions. All right. So before I let you go, we're going to take a couple of questions from the uh, the audience real quick. Uh, so if anyone's got questions, go ahead and leave them in the uh, in the chat here. And John's going to pick one or two of them for us to ask. But uh, Dylan, you, you obviously can't see the uh, chat at the moment, but you have a new nickname. According to the audience, they are calling you Dylan Sailor. <laughs> which uh, and they keep saying that uh, you dropped your crown and they are posting the uh, the king crown in here. So they I think they very much uh, are in, uh, in enjoying the uh, the uh, uh, content. Um, all right, so questions uh, here, John. Anything that you see uh, you think one, is good? One person asked earlier on the show was, "Are you looking at anything besides Bitcoin for investments, uh, real estate, like any different kind of assets, or is it just uh, Bitcoin?" Yeah, so. Um, I think at this, at this stage in my life, right, like being 20 years old, um, just trying to accumulate as much capital as possible, diversification, like doesn't really make sense because I'm doing things in like basically Bitcoin denomination. So, um, when I'm, when I'm look, evaluating equities, like, right. So I love, I think Amazon is a fantastic business just, just for example. Um, but I don't think Amazon is worth 42 million Bitcoin <laughs> or whatever. Right. Like, and so just, just viewing, uh, any sort of investment through that lens, um, is, is something that I, I try to do. Um, I think Amazon, you know, the NASDAQ real estate more broadly, like what, whatever kind of legacy investment you're talking about, it's going to go up and it's going to go up a lot in dollar terms over the next decade. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that due to just the, the debt dynamics. Um, but if your baseline is dollars, you're doing great. If your baseline is Bitcoin, 
well, I think you're going to, you're going to probably get killed. Um, and so, you know, I'll buy, I'll buy Amazon stock when it's, when the market cap is less than, you know, 500,000 Bitcoin or, or whatever it is. Right. Um, just, just kind of viewing things through a Bitcoin denomination is, is what I do. And that's why, you know, that's what leads me to basically have, I have over a hundred percent of my net worth in Bitcoin, um, you know, because of, because of liabilities. <laughs> so, a couple of people are asking, what would make you bearish or what would make you sell Bitcoin uh, in terms of uh, things happening in the market? Uh, what would make me bearish um, is basically over the, like over a long period of time, not something just like China, but hash rate decreasing um, significantly and staying, um, staying there, whether, um, and I don't see how that happens. It would have to be, you know, maybe there's this other proof of work network that um, one, you know, doesn't have the liquidity of Bitcoin, doesn't have the network effect, all of these things, which leads me to be supremely confident that Bitcoin has already won. Uh, but if, if hash rate, you know, left the network um, to go somewhere else, um, then, then that would really make me kind of rethink the thesis because ultimately, you know, Bitcoin is the most secure proof of work network. And, and because of the network effects that come off of that, the security, uh, the immutability of the protocol, like all of these things, um, that that leaves me supremely confident um, in in you know my holdings, my savings, and so um, the dollar price, like you know, if even if Bitcoin went to fifteen k, and you know because of the Evergrande spillover and legacy market blew up, like I'm buying hand over fist, and I'm going to go to every bank I can and try to get a loan, right? Like there's 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 not there's not a dollar volatility move that makes me sell. Uh, what makes me sell is is some fundamental flaw in the protocol that, you know, millions of people looking at this thing every day haven't found yet, but that would make me rethink my thesis, you know, no, no dollar volatility in the, in the market. So I'm going to ask you to clarify this because, uh, I don't think people caught this when I asked you, uh, how much of your portfolios in Bitcoin, you said over 100%, uh, which is not usually an answer people hear. So explain what you mean by that. Yeah, um, I've taken out. Um, I've basically gotten my hands on any sort of uh, credit I could in 2020, um, around a April, May, uh, June timeframe. Um, a lot of like, I actually got, um, you know, not financial advice. Guys, uh, <laughs> Terms and conditions. Uh, um, I took out like, because um, I'm, you know, I was 18, 19 at the time. Like, I, I wasn't available to get like, you know, uh, you know, a billion dollars at zero, like Michael Saylor. Uh, but I could get a lot of. I got a lot of zero percent. Uh, credit cards for 18 months. So I stacked, I stacked my butt off, uh, in that time frame, And so I still, am, still am carrying that debt because honestly, again, not financial advice, but 15%, 12% APR, whatever it is, I'm pretty confident, uh, in, uh, in Bitcoin out, outperforming that. So, uh, when the benchmark is Bitcoin, uh, fiat denominated liabilities, like I have a, I have a cash flow. I work, I have a, you know, I, I get a paycheck, like it's not something that I'm, I'm too worried about. So yeah, if, you know, if you're looking at a net worth basis, I have, I have over a hundred percent in Bitcoin. You understand that that is insane by boomer standards and, uh, it's par for the course in, uh, in Bitcoin world. Yeah. I, I, I told people that, uh, back in 2020, even today and people, some people look at me like I have three heads and I'm like, no man, it's prudent. And, and, and I like, they think I'm joking. I'm like, no, it's not, it's, it's prudent for me. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, again, not financial advice, but um, when you're like, why, if you're just looking at like, say Michael Saylor, right. Or, or anybody that's taking on dollar liabilities, um, or, you know, Michael Saylor, Bitcoin has to like, when he's borrowing 6% at 500 billion, 500 million to buy a 37 K well, what's 6% Kager? What's, what's Bitcoin have to be at in 2027, like 50 K maybe, um, for, for him to break even. And so like, you know, obviously everyone's situation is different. Um, but if you can service the debt, if you can service this, um, the coupon, the, the interest payment, then 
Um, I, I don't think that's that's risky. Um, you know, don't don't over leverage yourself and, and have it all blow up because you don't want to become a forced seller. Um, but again, yeah, when you're when you're evaluating things with this artificial cost of capital um, against this monetizing digital bearer asset, um, you know, the math is is I think is on your side. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, in some weird way, I'm proud of you. Good job. Uh, not financial advice, but uh, seems to be uh, working out for you. All right. Um, Everyone go follow Dylan on Twitter. I'll put his uh, Twitter handle one more time in the chat. Make sure you go follow him. Hopefully we can get him to, uh, let's see, have we already, uh, oh yeah, we already pumped you over 46,000. You're you're, uh, you're well on your way. Uh, the other thing is, John, what do we think Dylan's follower count is on Twitter by the end of the year? End of the year? 100K. Yeah. Ooh, more than double. Look, he, he's like, I'll yeah, take like, that. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that. That's all right. John's at 50K. Are you, are you and Dylan going to race to 100? We'll see what Bitcoin does. <laughs> but, uh, it, it's on. John, what do you got? You got 50? Yeah, I got 50. Oh, Dylan's at 46. So, 46. so he's got Bitcoin behind him. John will start tweeting a lot about Bitcoin if all yeah. of a sudden it uh it Send me some off. charts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Listen, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll definitely do it again in the future and, uh, and keep going, man. You're really uh, doing a great job and I think people really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on guys. It was a lot of fun. All right. See you later.